electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, tech's new momentum. The Nasdaq hits a new record high, led by the Fangs and Microsoft, which tops $2 trillion in market cap for the first time ever today. Is big tech once again now the best bet for your money? We debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young is head of investment strategy at SoFi. Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, John Najarian along as well. Good to see everybody. Let's go check the markets before we get started today. NASDAQ, NASDAQ 100, S&P tech sector, all hitting new highs today. Dow's turned negative, but we're focusing on tech right now. Liz Young, you got the, the IVE, the IWF. Those are the growth ETFs. They've hit new record highs today. Is the growth trade back? Well, here's the thing about momentum, Scott, is that it's usually short-lived. And I hate to put rain on anybody's parade, but what I'd look at in the second half of this year is that we're going to enter a new regime in the market. And that new regime is going to be one that rewards fundamentals. It rewards quality. It probably keeps rewarding active management. And I hope it rewards earnings momentum. And the fact of the matter is that earnings momentum is in the cyclical sectors still. It's also in small and mid-cap stocks. So despite all the headlines, despite all the hoopla about large cap tech and maybe it's back, I still think that we're going to get surprises from the Fed in fall. I think the dot plot thickens. There's a good play on words for you. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to get a more hawkish message as we move through the year, which is going to put pressure on those big tech names. Wow, Joe, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, you think, okay, fundamentals, that seems to be on big tech side, right? Quality, big tech, quality, right? Earnings momentum, I mean, the last earnings report knocked a cover off the ball. All of these companies did just that. Why shouldn't that continue? Rates are low. The Delta variant is an issue, you know, obviously that we need to deal with. And maybe that's taken a little bit of steam out of the epicenter trade, the cyclicals or value or whatever you want to characterize that as. You agree with Liz? Well, I do think that technology right now is front and center for investors. And I think a lot of that reasoning relates to what you're talking about, Scott, which is kind of looking forward and saying to yourself, where am I going to get the sustainability in earnings growth in an environment ready for this, where you have or already seen or about to see peak acceleration in terms of the growth from reopening for the economy. Yes, I'm saying that. I never believed in the Roaring Twenties narrative. We're all going out to bars and restaurants and attending games, but we're going to see the reopening growth reach its peak here in the coming quarters. And if that's the case, I am going to go right back to mega cap technology. That's the place where I'm going to find sustained earnings growth over the long term in an environment where we think that rates are going to continue to be uh, stable at best. Okay. Liz Young, before I get to the others, I just give you a chance to, to respond. 
Yeah, I think over the long term, you you never bet against big cap tech, especially if you're looking at the prosperity of the American economy. Big cap tech is going to continue to be a big part of that. If we're going to look, though, over the second half of 2021, I think that earnings momentum in big cap, big cap tech has already happened. And there are other places in the market, particularly energy, industrials, materials, and small caps. Do not abandon small caps that are going to see a lot more earnings momentum than those big cap tech names through the second and third quarter. So, John Adjarian, I got, as I said, Microsoft hits a new record intraday high today, $2 trillion in market mm-hmm. cap, albeit briefly. Alphabet, new intraday record high today. Facebook, new intraday record high today. You did have several of those names picked in our stock summit, whether it was Jim picking Apple or Surratt picking Facebook or Pete picking Microsoft or Saperstein picking uh, Amazon. And over the last month, these stocks really seem to have some newfound momentum. Apple's up 7% over the last month. Microsoft, 8.5%. Amazon, which had been consolidating. It's a Kramer pick. It's a Josh pick. So many like this stock. It's up 9% in the month. Google, Facebook, Netflix following suit. Is this trade back and is it here to stay? Does it have this newfound momentum? Um, Yeah, it does, Scott. Uh, And some of those stocks were languishing. Amazon and uh, Apple in particular had languished. But um, in terms of Apple, yeah, you've got uh, the, the 5G, whether it's for wearables like that or whether it's for um, the new iPhones, uh, the new uh, uh, iPads or Macs. Um, this is going to continue to drive uh, demand. And as far as Amazon, Scott, um, they're a company that had to basically find workers at the toughest time. The toughest time to get workers was a year ago. Um, when people were afraid to get out as much as they are now. Um, now a lot of people, as we've discussed, are perhaps uh, taking advantage of the uh, excess capital that they've been given, and they'll stay at home. Um, and that's tough for the other competitors against the likes of these digital monsters like Amazon. But Amazon's got the workers out there right now, Scott. Some of them are trying to unionize. I get that. But a lot of the other companies just can't get the workers back. So yes, Amazon and Target and Walmart should continue to feel a lift. I know uh, Target and Walmart, not necessarily big tech, Scott, but certainly Amazon has the workers that it can meet the demand um, because they already had the supply of workers. The rest of them are scrambling to get there. But big tech, yeah, I'd continue to hold it. As you know, I'm overweight in that sector. And I'm pretty happy about it. All right. So, Steve Weiss, I mean, you, you heard Joe. He, he basically puts forth this is as good as it gets for the environment. Right. Growth is only going to go one way from here. And, you know, just because it's as good as it gets doesn't mean it's not going to stay good. But at least if you've peaked in terms of your reopening growth, you're going to be looking for growth in the kinds of investments you want to make. And thus, big tech is the place to be. And I see Joe nodding his head um, in, in, in the way that I'm sort of summarizing his, his perspective here. What do you think about his, his point of view? I agree with Joe. I, I think that you'll see the I, I think the big tech will continue to perform and do well. Uh, it did well this past month because it was a safety trade. So you're very comfortable going there. Unlike Bitcoin, big cap tech has been a store of value. So I would say that that will continue, but you'll get the outperformance from some of the names that have more idiosyncratic 
upside to them. So, yes, yeah, so I agree with that part of what Liz is saying. That's a stock picker's market that's going to reward fundamentals. Those, those fundamentals are ever-present, as you point out, in the stocks that Joe likes. But I think expanded. What this market has done historically over the last few years, it gets the message pretty quickly. And when it saw rates go up and when it saw that the industrials performed in that environment and tech got hurt, it stepped back and said, you know, what? we've now seen tech and growth recover. We're not going to get fooled again. Rates going up, potentially going up and a tapering another 25 bips or 50 bips isn't going to deter us from owning these growth stocks because they will grow in any environment. So, yes, yeah, so I support Joe's thesis. I agree. I think he expanded to more growth, more technology. Yeah, I mean, look. I think Liz makes a lot of sense, though, in, in how she views things, Steve. You, you arguably mm-hmm. have a more hawkish Fed, right? You, you may not want to put mm-hmm. as much weight in what Bullard said on this network last week because he's not a voting member. And, and maybe a little of that has been walked back since. But the risk is to Liz's side that you do have a more hawkish Fed. The dot plot certainly has moved a prospective rate hike higher. The prospect of rates moving up after this little period right now of consolidation or whatever post-Fed meeting may not last very long. Thus, you may get another sell-off in these tech stocks after a nice rebound over the last month. Well, you know, let let me put it this way. Um, I do think the Fed will be more hawkish. I do think you'll see more moving over to the side where we've got to taper sooner. But I also think the market has been sensitized to that and that it won't have the same impact. The Fed has been as masterful as possible. And I'm giving them credit for every Fed governor that comes out, every FOMC meeting, FOMC member, whether voting or not, is counterbalanced with another one. So Bullitt comes out and is extremely hawkish. And then we have the New York Fed president come out and he says, wait, we don't have the conditions for tapering yet. So the dialogue is there. It's a running dialogue. I'm going to give Powell credit because he deserves it for constructing that dialogue. So by the time we do taper, and I think we should, it's going to be a non-event. If there's a knee jerk down, you're going to buy them. In terms of rates going up, we're not there yet. That dialogue hasn't even begun, and we're a ways away from that beginning. And I do think you'll continue to see the transitory nature of inflation as we're seeing with semis. The pipeline, the supply chain is going to be de-bottleneck. We're seeing it already. We've seen commodities come down in price. So, look, I think that inflation will start to, to uh tamp down a little bit, and the market's going to be fine. Okay. We're not exploding to the upside. We'll be in a trading range. Okay, so, you know, Joe, I, I guess we'll get to the first surprise of the program. I, I say surprise because when I saw one of your new buys today, I was a bit surprised. Um, you bought Tesla, yeah. which is interesting to me. I, I think it would be interesting to our viewers as well. And it's also worth noting that the ARK stocks have made a comeback of their own, you know, by the way. Over one month, Tesla's up 11%. You can go Teladoc or Roku or Zoom. Zoom's up 21% over the last month. Square, the same amount. Shopify, 24. Palantir, 25. You get the idea. Fastly, 29. There's some really sizable gains in these stocks, Joe. But why Tesla? 
Well, a, a couple of weeks ago, I began to look at these emerging growth stocks, and I purchased CrowdStrike. Now I look at where we are, and I understand that trades are very difficult to come by right now. We're clearly seeing a market that is consolidating, and you're certainly seeing volatility begin to diminish. So there is this narrative, which I agree with, towards mega cap technology, but I'm already there. I own Alphabet. I own Amazon. I own Apple. I haven't stepped in and bought uh, Amazon. What I do think investors will be doing now and why I am going with this, to borrow Liz's word, momentum trade, this has nothing to do with fundamentals, is you will see a mean reversion performance uh, chase towards both Netflix and Tesla in an attempt for there to be a recovery. And Scott, you're already seeing it in the last week. If you measure the performance of Tesla and Netflix relative to the other mega cap technology stocks, they are outperforming. So this is a little bit of a catch-up period. I want to play in that catch-up period for a trade. I've got to stop it in Tesla below 593.5, which is the June 16th low. We've made a series of higher lows over the last three months in Tesla, and I'm going to go with this trade because in this environment where we've got the stabilization of rates, I'm trying to capture an opportunity in mega cap technology where there's been an underperformance. All right, I'm going to get to one thing you just said, the stabilization of rates, because I, I think that is one of the biggest debates, not only in the market, but on this program today, right? It's because I think Liz would mm -hmm. maybe take issue with the, the comments about the stabilization of rates for now. However, John Nigerian, before we do that, you own Tesla calls. What do you make of this new buy from mm -hmm. Joe and also the way that he did the particular trade that he did? Well, I, I like it, Scott. I mean, I, I think when we turned through 600 um, to the upside um, and then burned through several levels on the way up through um, the, the mid 600s, I think the next stopping point is 700, quite frankly. Just over 700 would be the next pivot that I'd see. And you can certainly make a case for some of the volatility that Tesla's seen. Uh, part of that uh, that you addressed with the, uh, or Steve did perhaps, with the Bitcoin um, when he brought it up. Because that volatility in Bitcoin obviously hurts, it cuts both ways. It, it hurts or helps. So in the case of Riot or Mara or um, MicroStrategy or even Square and PayPal, Tesla included in that group, when it's going up, yeah, that's great because these are companies that are recognized as being part of that ecosystem in one way or another, either through ownership or through distribution. And when it goes down as hard and as fast as it went down and yesterday may have been uh, one of the best trading bottoms we've seen in a while, takes a while to see for sure, Scott, and we do have that Ethereum expiration of options on Friday. But nonetheless, um, Tesla does move up and down pretty rapidly with the uh, ups and downs of that uh, particular cryptocurrency. So I like Joe's pick. Um, I welcome you into the water, Joe. It's fine. <laughs> I think we'll both be happy in the mid 700s in the not too distant future. And uh, I look forward to that. All right. Well, the, the heat is on in the pool today. Uh, it's a little bit warmer for, for certain for Tesla. Right. It's above its 50-day moving average <laughs> for the first time in, in a little while. But, Liz, I mean, how much of these yep. trades, the, the so-called, you know, the Kathy Wood stocks, the ARK stocks, which I have mentioned have, have posted a nice comeback, 
I'll mention even more. You know, DocuSign's up 43% in a month. Peloton has come back up 17%. CrowdStrike up 20. Zscaler up 30. Splunk up 16. ServiceNow up 16. Is it all about what Joe said, the stabilization of rates? If, if rates start to move up again, these stocks may have another problem. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption, and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, the stabilization of rates, meaning that the 10-year Treasury yield went up so sharply and then it came back down and it's sort of relaxed at this new level. I'm assuming that that's what you're talking about. I think what happens throughout the rest of the year is that the Fed has to realize, okay, inflation may be transitory, but it's going to start to settle at a higher level than it was before the pandemic. And if their projections for unemployment come true, by the end of 2021 that we're under 5% as an unemployment rate, then the labor market doesn't look like as big of a problem anymore, which is what's been keeping them on hold. So if the labor market isn't a big problem and we've got inflation that's maybe not as hot as it is now, but still hotter than before, I think what the market's going to have to start to get used to, which I would expect to see in the next dot plot, is the possibility of a rate hike in 2022. Now, that's not a bad thing. I want to be really clear. That's not a bad thing. They'd be raising rates for good reasons. And it doesn't mean that tech is going to have a negative return. I am not at all saying that people should sell tech. I just think that there's better opportunity for outperformance in other sectors throughout the second half. You know, there's a real interesting call today on a stock in this tech universe in the fangs. John and Jerry, what do you make of of Netflix today and Wells Fargo is actually talking about Netflix making a transformation from growth to GARP, growth at a reasonable price. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting one for a stock that's disappointed this year. It's down five and a half percent year to date. They say it's their top long idea uh, with any short term net uh, add or, or factor noise, a buying opportunity. What do you think about that? I mean, that's an interesting call. One, you just have you haven't heard anything it, close to that from anybody else. Right. Uh, although that growth at a reasonable price um, does seem to be, unfortunately for Netflix fans, um, where that stock is right now, Scott. Um, the host of competitors that have come out and done very well, um, we don't think necessarily we, the royal we, don't, don't really think that uh, we've seen no, uh, a, a ton of subscribers pulled away from Netflix. Um, but nonetheless, the fact that there's so much competition out there, Scott, from Hulu, um, from Fubu, from uh, Fubo rather, and uh, Disney and all the rest, um, Peacock, there's so many different streaming services that, yeah, I do think it's more of a, okay, this one's pretty stable, which would play into my strategies, of course, of owning some of those stable stocks and selling calls aggressively against them rather than being in those stocks, um, hoping for a lot of outperformance, like Liz is saying, um, for these other sectors. I think uh, Netflix is sort of that growth at a reasonable price. So I'm not in disagreement with Wells Fargo on this one. You know, what, what, what do you make of what Steve Weiss said about the overall market? He doesn't see a, you know, a big breakout to, to the upside. Whereas Tom Lee today has a note looking at the VIX, which, Doc, you look at all the time. It's down 28 percent in the past couple of days. And he says that in and of itself is a rally signal. And remember, a, a few months back, I think he was talking about a VIX under 20, 
was a sign in and of itself of a pending move. Is that a place to really get a good read on whether there's going to be this summer rally or not? Um, it usually is, Scott. I mean, Tom's a smart guy. Uh, Funstrat and that group uh, put a lot of work into uh, both looking at past moves of volatility to the upside or downside. And so I'm, I'm thinking that the summer is going to be uh, uh, something that's going to play into these tech stocks. Um, and what I'm a little worried about into the fall is that if Liz is right, and Liz, I know you're right a lot, um, but if Liz is right, and it's not transitory, have a drink. Um, instead, we're going to see uh, then a lot of these tech names start to come off and a lot of those other names start to outperform. And that's not going to be a low VIX at that point, Scott. That will be a much higher VIX that we'll be looking at in the fall if that plays out to Liz's playbook. Well, you, you know, Liz, Tom Lee, since we were speaking of him, obviously is a, still a big proponent of his so-called epicenter stocks, and he's the one who coined that. So we'll continue to give him credit on that. Bank of America says it's okay to still buy value, but they downgrade the industrials. And there was, I think, another negative call today on the industrials. There are people who think that that trade is completely tapped out. What do you make of that as a sector to, to avoid? You could talk specific names within it if you'd like to, but if you can't, as a sector. Yeah, I think industrials, it falls into that camp of the earnings momentum is there in large cap. If we look at just cyclicals, uh, I'm going to take financials out of this equation because the earnings momentum is not quite there in large cap right now. But cyclicals as a whole, it's industrials, materials, and energy. And there should be opportunity going forward. I think the uh, infrastructure package is going to be a big piece of that, and we need to find out what happens with it. If an infrastructure package goes through and we have positive momentum on that side, too, then industrials is another opportunity throughout the rest of the year. Joe, you have you have exposure in the industrial space. I do, but it's more uh, related to logistics and the movement of goods. Manufacturing figures continue to be very strong. Um, I, I don't want to get involved, Scott, in the movement of people. Uh, I look at the airlines, and I know that uh, Far Jim Labenthal has done a great. I almost called him Farmer Jim, but you Jim can call him Farmer Jim. I mean, I'm not, I, don't have, I don't have exclusivity on that. <laughs> I thought you did, but uh, <laughs> Jimmy's done a great job in managing his position with uh, Alaska Air. But I'm concerned: rising oil prices, the airlines canceling flights. I saw this morning uh, on Squawk Box. You know, the conversation surrounding the airlines. That's a challenge. So. I want to focus on the logistics, whether that is Landstar or Old Dominion, which I personally own. UPS I gave as my final trade the other day. I think those are the right places to be, consistent with a very strong manufacturing environment uh, that we're being blessed with right now. Let me, let me go through a couple of moves that you guys specifically made before we take a break. Joe, I'll, I'll stay with you since we're ending here on this conversation. Uh, Generac. Sure. You, you bought Generac. I did and probably should have purchased Generac a lot sooner. People will pull up a chart as we're talking. We'll see it uh, at very high levels. You know I'm never afraid of buying high and selling higher, Scott. But there's a lot of fundamental tailwinds surrounding this company. They're positioning themselves in a very strong way in terms of the improvement of the balance sheet. But I also want you to think about the residents. I want you to think about the home and the move that the country's having towards electrifying whether it's vehicles or power generation. Well, you're going to need a secondary energy source. That takes you to Generac. And certainly when we talk about stability, think about the grid. 
Is there stability in the grid? I think not. So I think Generac offers a prime solution uh, in the residence. It's one of the reasons why I'm buying it today, and I'm buying it for a much longer-term trade than certainly my Tesla. All right. I mean, I'll stay on that theme. Dr. J, you sold D.R. Horton. Is that a housing call? What is that? Um, It's more or less, Scott, that uh, I I don't think that people get uh, crazy about uh, a a minor move to the upside in interest rates. But it's just been one of those stocks that's performed so well. It tripled up on the Nasdaq, believe it or not, because of big tech lagging. Um, You know, Nasdaq's up, what, 10 percent year to date, Scott? Many of the stocks in the housing sector, like Pulte, like D.H. Horton, D.R. Horton and so forth, are uh, DHI rather, are really uh, triple that performance. So it was more or less me just saying, you know what, with rates here under 150, I might as well pull this one off and see whether or not we do see uh, that inflation that Liz and the Fed were talking about talking about, talking about, Um, if that's really out there in the future. And if it is, um, then I think maybe these see a little bit more downside. And then I'd love to reload. Uh, But at a triple of the NASDAQ, I'll take that off the table. Okay, Steve Weiss, lastly, uh, Freeport. You bought more Freeport to get a nice move today. Um, Lately, obviously, you know, Copper's had a rollover. Freeport's been down. Is this just taking advantage of an opportunity? It is. I, I thought I was taking advantage of that opportunity at 40 and was wrong on that. Uh, you never catch a falling knife with commodities. But copper hasn't reset all that much, particularly compared to lumber. And I think copper's going to be very strong. It's a great component in EVs. So you'll see an extended life past the typical commodity cycle. The other thing I added to, which I neglected to uh, tell our, our crackjack producer, Patty Martell, was I added to Joe T to take advantage mm. of momentum trade. And uh, because he's an expert at it, as we heard him talk. So uh, so those two were additions. Oh, interesting. OK, we're going to step away. We'll take a quick break. Straight ahead. We'll have more of the markets with Avenue Capital's Mark Lazary. He's going to weigh in on the Fed, inflation, opportunities in credit and more when we come back on the halftime report. Two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
All right, welcome back. Keeping my uh, eye on uh, the bond market, obviously, as uh, all of you are, too. The 10-year note yield, 148, as we have this conversation with Mark Lazary, the Avenue Capital Chairman and CEO, joining us now. Welcome back. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm wondering just what you think of rates here, you know, post-Fed. Uh, do you think they've overstayed their welcome? Um, look, I think rates are going up. I mean, we've thought that for a while. So we think it's going to continue to go up. I mean, the economy is doing great. Um, you know, we'll just see what happens. But it's kind of hard when you're growing as fast as we're growing this year for rates to stay where they are. When do you think they should raise rates? Oh, if you're asking me, they should do it tomorrow. But they're not asking me. So <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think ultimately it'll start moving up over the course of the year. Um, but... It's kind of hard, again, if you've got an economy that's doing as well as it is right now, why rates shouldn't be higher. I mean, you need to sort of slow things down a little bit. Um, but I think ultimately people are going to want uh, rates to remain kind of low so that the economy keeps on doing great. I'm wondering how this all has impacted you and in, in your wheelhouse of, of distressed credit, whether it's taken some opportunities off the table um, because of the Fed's in- engagement and they've been involved for such a long period of time now, and they don't seem to be anywhere close, I think it's fair to say, to taking any punch out of the punch bowl. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that's exactly what's happening. I think for us, um, it's especially in the U.S., it's been harder. Um, you've got to find special situations. I would tell you earlier, we were able to do specialty lending, and we were able to charge um, somewhere around sort of you know, I'd say 12, 15 percent, that's had to come down. And now we're charging less. Um, And I think that's that's everywhere. Um, There's less distress. There's just more capital out there. So for us, we've got to go abroad. We need to do things in Europe. We need to do things in Asia. Um, And we need to find special situations um, here in the U.S. But there's less than there was I would tell you, obviously, a year ago. Sure. I mean, it's interesting. Um, does, does that equation change at all if, if and when the Fed makes its move or if and when rates make a meaningful move higher? Yeah, it'll change. I mean, um, that's actually if the he- if the Fed is looking to help my business, um, what they should do is just raise rates. Um, <laughs> yeah. but- no wonder why you advocated for that. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to do that. But I think, look, for the well-being of the economy, you want rates to stay where they are or, you know, move up very slowly. The, the quicker rates move up, um, the more issues you will end up having because then capital becomes more expensive. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I wonder your, your perspective, too, on, on what we've seen in some of the so-called meme stocks. Right. There was a time maybe a, a year ago where you would look at bonds and say an, an AMC and think, OK, yep. maybe there's an opportunity there. But then you have this really unique scenario in which a company that would theoretically be distressed would yes. have the ability because of the meme mania to actually raise capital and change the calculus on its business, which may in turn change the opportunity that you would have seen prior. What, what do you what do you make of that? I think you hit it on the head. I mean, I think that's actually what's happened. Um, A lot of companies that actually had issues or have issues, um, you know, that aren't making money or EBITDA numbers very low, 
um, which would be a huge opportunity for us, their stock is trading at pretty high levels. So if you're the company, what do you do? You just issue stock and you pay down debt. Um, and so the opportunity set for us because of that has gone down. Now, look, I think that's great for the economy. I think it's great for equity investors. Um, it's great for companies. It's not great for us, but that's okay. I mean, you know, reality sooner or later sets in. Um, and, you know, hopefully that'll happen towards the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Joe, you have something for Mark Lazary? I, I do, Mark. It's so fascinating that you just mentioned companies taking advantage of an elevated share price to pay down debt. Why isn't the energy sector, and, I, and I'm asking you about the energy sector because you were fantastic in defining the environment in 2016 and understanding the opportunity there. Why is the energy sector not doing the same thing right now? There's a significant amount of debt that is going to need to be maturing in 2022 and 2023. Shouldn't they be uh, offering shares to pay down that debt? And do you think because of the higher price, it offers an opportunity in high yield debt ultimately when the maturities come forth? I, I think it's a great question. I think they should be doing it. Um, they absolutely should because they are going to have issues in a year or two. Um, I think part of it is for whatever reason, companies today, especially on the energy side, think their stock is a bit cheap um, because it hasn't. the oil prices haven't been fully priced in. But uh, things can change on a dime. So I think you're absolutely right, Joe. If I was running these companies today, um, I would end up issuing stock and taking out some of that debt um, because they are going to have issues in a year or two. It's just that right now, everybody thinks oil prices are going to continue going up. Let me ask you one more question about the meme thing before, sure. I, before I move on. I mean, is it changing the way you're actually looking at potential opportunities? Be, would you like stay away from anything in that universe now because of the possibility that you could have a, a stock price go up enough that you would have the ability to raise new capital? Um, well, what it's doing is it's stopping us from hedging that. So normally you would go long those bonds and you'd go short the stock. Um, today, you're not even remotely going to do that because <laughs> you could find, yes, you'll make money on the long and you'll get destroyed on the short. So um, I think what you'll do today is uh, a big part of what you used to do is gone, which is hedging. And now you're just going to make your bet on sort of the long. Um, so because of that, you'll do less of those deals. Yeah, it's, it's a great it, question. It's interesting to, to get your perspective on it. Um, a, a so-called credit guy rather than um, someone who, you know, is 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 really making their belly wick in the equity market and having the, their own issues with the, the way that some of those stocks have traded and the side of the trade that they, they may have been on. Steve Weiss, do you have a question for Mark? I do. Hey, Mark, hey, good luck in, hey, the, uh, in the series, by the way. Glad you pulled it off last you. time. Here's my question. We've, we've had so many companies increase their, their balance sheet by borrowing more and more. And predominantly, loans are floating rate. So while we're ways away from it being a factor in terms of bankruptcies or something like that, won't there be an impact to a, cor to a company's earnings as that floating rate debt increases? Well, it should. And I think you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, because right now what you're seeing is this huge abundance of corporate debt that's coming on, but it's cheaper for them to do a floating rate instrument right now. So all of these loans are all three to five year loans. 
And you're going to find that going up. I mean, you'll see it the same thing with the U.S. deficit. As rates move up, um, the amount of money that the government is going to pay on interest is going to continue growing. Same thing for companies today. So I, I think, but that's that'll start occurring next year or the year after. So I think the market knows it. Um, there, it just isn't priced being priced in yet because nobody knows where the where rates are going. Um, but yeah, I think that's absolutely going to happen. Our, our Wisconsin native Liz Young's not going to let me get out of here without asking you a basketball question um, as well, right? <laughs> Game one tonight. All right, you survived. Yeah. You survived a tense and tough series. What now? You have a side, a little side hustle bet going on with Tony Ressler uh, on on the Hawks series, or what do you expect? Well, look. Uh, obviously, I hope we win, <laughs> but just like I hope we we won in uh, New Jersey when we played them. Well, sorry, when we played the Brooklyn Nets. Um, look, I think at the end of the day, what's actually great, and you saw it, is you saw that our team could handle the pressure, and I think that's been great. And, you know, I always sort of say to people, um, you know, the only way you get diamonds is through pressure. So you need to be able to deal with it. And I think we've been able to deal with it. So and I think Atlanta's done the same. I mean, you know, for Atlanta to win in a seven game series. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but obviously, um, you know, the smart money is on the box. So uh, that's what I would. <laughs> that's how I look. At All right. It. Touche to Tony Ressler. Uh, the owner of the Hawks, obviously. All right, it's good to talk to you. Good luck. We'll be following it, of course. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Mark Lazary is uh, the Avenue Capital Chairman CEO. All right, we're back uh, right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Las Vegas is taking the wraps off its first new casino in a decade. Our Contessa Brewer lucky assignment is there with the details. Hey, Contessa. (laughs) Hi there, Scott. What a remarkable time to open a brand new casino resort on the Las Vegas Strip. Talk about lucky. Pent-up demand is sending occupancy rates skyrocketing. Restrictions have lifted and air passengers are returning. Resorts World, owned by Genting, is opening tomorrow, showing off some industry revolutions here. Cashless gaming options, uh, which can be used at the slot machines and the blackjack tables. The gamblers could actually go and they log in scanning a QR code with their phone. Also, Resorts World is partnering with the crypto exchange company Gemini to explore options there. And then at a time when Las Vegas Sands has sold out of Las Vegas to focus on its Asian business, its biggest competitor in Singapore, Genting, has made a more than $4 billion investment in Las Vegas. I mean, you're looking here at more than 100,000 square feet of casino floor. It is a massive, massive space here. The chairman and CEO of, um, of Genting, KT Lim, told me that he considers this city a gambler's mecca. And, and I'm quoting here, the gaming capital of the world, the entertainment capital of the world. What's missing, though, in this reopening is the Asian tourists. The Chinese tourists spend more on amenities here. They spend more on gaming than other customers. And until the COVID crisis subsides around the world, 
Las Vegas is not getting that crowd here, Scott, or in Singapore or Macau, really. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a big issue uh, for certain contestants. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, see how you do at the tables later on, too. Uh, Dr. J, you own Las Vegas Sands. Now, I like mm-hmm. what, you know, Contessa, okay, it's great there's a new casino in Las Vegas. You are, though, in Las Vegas, at least for now, missing a important cohort of people. True, Scott, um, but an awful lot of folks are going to be drawn in to the new casino. They have been all along, uh, whether it was the Palms, whether it was Wynn or the Encore or Cosmopolitan. Um, just as uh, Contessa said, uh, the draw of a new casino is pretty darn strong, Scott. So I'm not going to be surprised to see an awful lot of people heading out to Las Vegas, but... Um, in particular, this is one of those areas where you have to be able to draw workers back to these casinos to get them fully operational. Um, I think that happens as we push through the summer, Scott. Yeah. You know, when you look at the performance, John, of the casinos year to date, it's it's overwhelmingly disappointing for Las Vegas Sands relative to, yep. to everybody else. What, what do you make of that specifically? I, I say mm-hmm. that. As LVS is down 10% year to date, MGM's up 35. Now, Wynn hasn't done quite as good either, but it's up 13. Uh, Caesars is up 41. Is it because of Macau exposure? It's it's an awful lot of that, Scott. Um, it's uh, the you know the passing of Adelson um, that was the, you know the visionary behind Las Vegas Sands and so forth. Uh, to a certain extent, you saw uh, Wynn sort of languish for a bit after uh, Steve was pushed out of his namesake hotel. So, But I, I'd say that you hit the nail on the head. It's what's going on over in Macau. That's been really uh, the significant driver for anybody. Any of these casinos here with exposure over there, they need that to come back as well. Yeah, because it's just it just jumps out at you of, of such an underperformer, whether it's one, three or, or year to yes, date, one, one, three month or or even uh, year to date. Doc, thank you very much. All right. Stay with us. John's back. He has unusual activity. That's coming up next right here on The Half. All right, Dr. J, time for unusual. What do you see today? Well, Scott, uh, Uber, um, this is a very short dated one. Uh, it's July 2nd expiration, so not this Friday, just two days hence, but a week and two days from now, Scott. They're buying upside calls at the 50-50 strike. That's 50.50 or 50 and a half. They're buying those calls with the stock that was under 50 at that time. I'm in those calls. Second one real quick, United Airlines, big reopening play, obviously, with Europe starting to let more and more Americans in and the transatlantic route starting to come back to life, Scott. Uh, This is January 65 calls. They're buying those. They bought 10,000 of them. That's $10 above where the stock was trading at 55. I'll be in these for several months, and I like the upside there. All right, good stuff. Appreciate that. John Ajarian, straight ahead, this red-hot stock up more than 100% this year. Why it may go up another 50% from here. We'll reveal that mystery stock, debate it in our call of the day. All right, shares of Under Armour, they're higher today after being named the best idea at Cowan. The firm saying the stock could rise more than 50 percent 
by 2022. It's our call of the day. Dr. J, I mean, okay, a 50% call gets your attention anytime. It gets it even more when a stock's already up more than 100% over a year. You sold your Under Armour calls today. You had to take those profits off this call? Yep. Yes, sir. Um, Scott, it was not that I don't believe the call, but I, I just, you know, this was like a gift. Uh, as you say, triple digit return on the trade. And then you get somebody coming out and saying it could double again. Um, I had to say, I'm going to take this money off the table. So UA and UAA, I took them both off today. Interesting that you get this call today. You've got uh, Nike, uh, I think, reports this week. Will we watch tomorrow, actually? Uh, Liz Young, what do you make of this space here? I think you have to split the space up into athleisure, which is what we wore when we were at home, and now into athletic apparel, which is what we wear when we go back out into the world and visit gyms, and that's particularly in big cities. I think that the athletic apparel can do well through the rest of the year, and people are going to buy that a little bit more than the athleisure trade. Okay. Final trades coming up next right here on The Half. All right, uh, Steve Weiss, before we do final trades, FedEx reports tomorrow. Price target gets raised today, 375 at Barclays. You bought more FedEx. And to remind people, XPO was one of your picks in our stock summit as well. So you do like this space. But tell me about FedEx specifically. Yeah. Specifically, uh, you know, my only concern is, and it's very, very short term, is that all the firms that follow it seem to have come out and raised their price targets, so expectations are high. However, I do think they will meet and exceed the expectations. Continues to be an extremely tight freight market with prices rising. So I like it. It's a long-term core position, as is XPO. Yeah, year to which date, which will do better, by the way. Okay, year to date, um, FedEx is is up fourteen and a half percent one year. Uh, 114 percent. So it's been a nice run. You have a final trade while I got you, Weiss? Moderna, the news from the CDS, CDC today is sort of insignificant. The, what they're citing is hard inflammation for adolescents. It goes away. Even if adolescents don't take it, doesn't mean anything to the story. They will, but the story is giving you a buying opportunity today. Take advantage you're, of it. You're, you're referencing these, these um, an increase, more cases than I think they thought was, was the news on this heart inflammation. Uh, Moderna shares are down 6%. I'm glad you addressed it because there are uh, a number of people on Twitter who wanted you to talk about that because you have recommended the stock. And it was uh, in the stock summit from you, too. Uh, Liz Young, it's good to see you today. You have a final trade for us? I do. The MSCI EFA, and that stands for Europe, Australasia, and the Far East, purely a play on the fact that a lot of the rest of the world is behind us on this recovery, and when they can travel again, they're going to do it big. Okay. Joe? Reiterating on an existing position, Chipotle, we're seeing a refresh and positive momentum. Okay. Dr. J? Rocket Companies. RKT bought it during the show, Scott. All right. Good stuff. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.